0: Welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're talking with recording artist from the United States of America, Chuck Girard. Welcome, Chuck. Hi, Matt. Good to be here. Mate, thanks very much for uh, joining us in Australia. Tell us, what's it like uh, for an American hanging out in Australia? What do you think about Australia?
1: Oh, I love Australia. I love the people. Uh, I've always had a very good uh, response down here. Lots of folk come out, and uh, I hadn't been down here for like 20 years before uh, my friend Don started to bring me back in about three, four years ago. Three years ago now, I think. Uh, fifth visit, something like that, and we're just really astonished at the amount of people that still come out, uh, that remember me, and uh, we're just having a great time. So I I very much enjoy this country and enjoy the people.
0: Now, a lot of people um, may have heard the name Chuck Girard, and they're probably thinking, where have I heard that name from? Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, your musical career. How did it start?
1: Well, uh, I've always been interested in music uh, from a very early age. I'm older than I look, of course, people listening to the radio can't see that, but uh, <laughs> uh, I actually harken back to the very early days of rock and roll, and I got interested in uh, in music when it was back in the doo wop era, when m- most of the music on the radio was, uh, you know, stuff like uh, Danny and the Juniors at the Hop, and um, so I formed a little um, kind of a vocal group in high school and got a hit record. In my senior year in high school, I had a hit record on the charts in the States. And our group was called The Castells, and uh, we had two hits that went into the top 20 in the States. And so for a young guy, just 18 years old or something like that, uh, being on stage with people who were up to that point my idols. You know, I I did shows with people like Jackie Wilson and Jerry Lee Lewis, Brenda Lee, Bobby V. You know, these people were all famous around the same period of time. And, uh, of course, we were more like a two-hit wonder, but uh, it was still very, very... uh, exciting stuff for a young guy and uh, give, gives you a little taste of success. So then uh, as a musician, I continued to pursue that as a career, music as a career, even after the group disbanded. And uh, oh, I guess um, I'd say the early 60s, I got into um, studio work. I had met through the uh, channels of having, uh, in those days, we used to do these little things called sock hops that were just basically lip sync shows. And, uh, and through doing one of those shows, I met a guy named Gary Usher, who had been, uh, um, well, who actually was at that time uh, a close friend of Brian Wilson's, and began to write with Brian of the Beach Boys and had, had written the song In My Room. And so I met Gary. Gary invited me to be a part of a studio group. Uh, where we started to make all these different recordings under different names. And uh, so I did studio work for about three or four years, Beach Boy-type stuff. I actually worked with Brian Wilson upon occasion. He'd come into the studio, and we do background parts together. And I actually sang a couple of leads where we sang together. So it was, quite, again, kind of a fun thing for a young guy. Uh, You know, just kind of breaking into the music thing, and uh, I never became majorly famous, but we did get one song out of that era that uh, some of the people would be probably more familiar with. Uh, I was the lead singer on a song called Little Honda by the Hondells that uh, some people might remember. and went, First Gear! It's all right! And uh, so, you know, that was enough of a taste to keep me going, and um, uh, to kind of cut the story a little bit short, uh, after that era, I got into the drug scene a little bit, well, more than a little bit. And uh, became a hippie, got on a spiritual quest, began to seek God through, at that time, what was very popular were Eastern philosophies and, of course, the drug LSD and other what we called psychedelic drugs uh, from the day, and um, continued to press in to uh, try to find uh, a description of God and a meaning for life that meant something truthful to me. And uh, I could never shake the Bible you know I was raised I had just enough christian background I was I was raised in a nominal um, Christian background that was more legalistic than anything else, but I had enough Jesus to be dangerous, you know so i <laughs> I couldn't shake the idea that whatever I embraced would have to include jesus and uh, so through this quest and a bunch of circumstances uh that led us to a church called Calvary Chapel in Southern California, which was just starting out. It was a small church with just maybe a couple of hundred people on a good night. But we started to hear about this church that was beginning to be known as the Hippie Church because hippies were getting saved. So our curiosity was excited, and we decided that we'd go up and check it out. Even though I was not particularly interested in a Christian church at the time, I felt it uh, at least deserved for me to check it out. And um, so I just felt such a powerful sense of the Spirit of God in the place, and I didn't really know exactly how to... Um, how to actually define it. I just knew it was something I needed to look into further. You know, I wasn't looking for religion. I wasn't looking for anything from my past, but this was really different. And uh, I recognized the difference. And uh, so in my own way, I made a a commitment to the Lord, uh, meaning that I didn't actually go up to the altar that night. I just, in my mind, it was was sort of a, a place to land for now and let God sort it all out. So, you know, I... Decided to just stay there until God showed me different, and that was 35 years ago. So, you know, I, I, I saw the difference immediately, that this was alive and vital. It was not religion. It was a real relationship with God, and I've uh, been there ever since.
0: You know, a lot of people don't like to come to God because they think, My life's such a mess, mm-hmm. you know, but you don't clean yourself before you get in the shower, do you? You know, right. you, you get well, in the shower to get cleaned, you know? Uh, so how did you feel at that time? You know, your life was obviously all over the place. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like, oh, maybe I'm too dirty to come to God right now? Or?
1: I did have a lot of that, mm-hmm. and what uh, I was exploring a lot of the Eastern philosophies, which uh, are, are really based on works. If you do this, you can achieve this level. And uh, I always kind of looked at, as I look back on Eastern philosophies, I, I kind of liken them to video games, you know. You achieve levels, and you get good at the game and get up the levels, but hardly anybody ever gets proficient enough in any game to beat the game because they're so complicated. And it's a little bit like an Eastern philosophy, you know, only the elite, the the people who are really totally committed and would get into these, uh, you know, um, meditating for years at a time or whatever could ever achieve the highest heights. So, so there was the, the biggest difference between Eastern philosophies and Christianity was basically they were saying, you are a mess. You can't, improve your life so come as you are and you are a sinner you're already lost and come and G- let jesus clean up your life and and uh, that made sense to me and i knew that at that point that if i died even the next day i didn't have any more levels to achieve i'd be with the lord i'd go to heavens and that's a great pressure off your your back so it was a quite quite a different thing and this was good news
0: now, a lot of people probably don't know the history of Christian music that started around about <laughs> your conversion, I guess. Tell us a little bit about, you know, from an outsider's point of view,
1: how did the Christian music scene all start? Right. Well, there was no scene when we got, by we, I mean the group Love Song. The uh, the, the the group Love Song was the, the group that I formed. Uh, actually, before I was a Christian, we were playing as Love Song, and then a group of not exactly the same personnel, but uh, four or five of us that got saved out of that, uh, had a conversion experience out of that, scene uh, be, uh, for, reformed as the Christian version of Love Song. And we had these songs we'd been writing, and we played them for Pastor Chuck Smith at Calvary Chapel, and he invited us to play for a Monday night Bible study that was taught by this young hippie guy who looked like Jesus. And so it was a, a real um, powerful drawing card for hippies because here you had this preacher that looked like Jesus and a Christian rock band that was a bunch of long-haired hippies, and it was quite different f- from, for the church in that, that season which was early 1970 and the hippies really were attracted to this whole scene and the church grew from a couple of hundred to over 2,000 in, in less than six months it was an amazing phenomenal growth spurt and um, the media got a hold of it and they began to do stories down at Calvary Chapel and we got caught up in the attendant publicity but as far as a the scene, there wasn't really a scene yet when I became Born Again um, there was only one album I knew of that had Christian content, you know, that was sort of rock and roll, and that was Larry Norman's Upon This Rock. And so, uh, you know, we all went home and listened to that album, we thought, wow, this is pretty cool, you know, you can do the kind of music we like and still have it serve, have that music be useful for the purposes of God. And there was one band at Calvary Chapel that predated us, a group called the Joy Band, that was sort of modeling for me what could be done now the joy band could have gone on and you know had a place in music history but they disbanded before the first maranatha album came out but s- several of the group members had reformed as a group called blessed hope and they actually did have a cut on the first maranatha album so but they were my first examples of what you know to, that showed me kind of the uh, shape the idea of what could be done of course we already had our songs were written. Uh, we had written songs about our quest for God that had passed muster if you will with Chuck Smith. You have to realize at this time there's no radio station dedicated to playing this music. You get the random airplay on a you know a regular more conservative station, but very little airplay no trade journals you know no print media nothing covering it, and no publicity at all so everything was by word of mouth and people telling other people about your record or whatever uh, so little by little then of course the the Calvary Chapel scene—it was amazing how many bands came. Early bands came out of Calvary Chapel, and I—I th- I really believe that God just sent musicians there, and they got saved. And the groups like the Way and Mustard Seed Faith, and the very early groups Parable—all started at Calvary Chapel, and that was really the beginning of kind of a scene that was beginning to form. You had a few bands that weren't Calvary Chapel. You had your Larry Norman and Randy Stonehill were beginning, beginning to emerge. Barry McGuire came along fairly soon after and so a scene was beginning to accumulate people don't really realize that second chapter came a few years later actually and people like Keith Green didn't emerge till late 70s so the real early nucleus of the you know the formation of the whole scene was love song Andre Crouch can't be left out because Andre was already on the scene when we started to play and uh, those were my you know, peers, was basically it was Larry Norman, Andre Crouch, and Love Song at one point. And then little by little, the Murr label emerged from Word Records, which was formed because they had recorded this album by this guy named Randy Matthews that was a little bit rocky and it didn't fit on the Word label, so they needed to form a new identity. And that's how Murr Records was formed, to put Randy Matthews' album out. So all this was the history part of it. And it was quite exciting and quite fresh, and we didn't even know what was going on. We were just a bunch of rock guys that got saved, and to us it wasn't even gospel music, you know.
0: Now, here's a, a curly question for you. A lot of Christian music today, um, there's a wide spectrum. Obviously, all styles of music, you know, you can find a Christian band that does it. Some of them are for entertainment and some of them for ministry. Mm -hmm. How did you guys all start out? I'm guessing it was ministry? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was never, you know, I've always looked at it like there's, uh, in Christian music, there's uh, music that uh, minister, there's entertainment that ministers and ministry that entertains. And we always felt ourselves in the latter category. In fact, we were very sensitive to, uh, it wasn't ever about just the music for us. Uh, If we would come into a conservative church, which we often did, the youth minister would book us in or something before the older people saw our picture <laughs> or whatever uh we would just tailor it you know if we if we saw that these were mainly people that were in their 60s or later uh, older uh we'd leave the electric instruments out in the van we'd bring in the acoustic guitars we'd sing our softer tunes and so um i think part of the reason f- for that was that we really did see ourselves as ministry first and we were very sensitive to what we did in our presentation to make sure that the final effect was that you weren't, you know, we didn't want people, 60, 70-year-old people, running out of the church with their ears covered. You know, you wanted to really minister to their hearts. And I think that was the attitude that that, uh, uh, we tried to foster and hopefully modeled for others, because a lot of the bands that came after us had the same kind of impact. In fact, I think most of the early people came from that standpoint and didn't really become a business until quite a few years later where it became more entertainment that might minister became more the norm
0: now off the top of the sorry i'll start again off the top of your head is there any stories you can think of of people who have become christians or been really touched or blessed by uh songs you've written or uh by concerts you've performed at
1: well sure yeah you you know you have things that are extraordinary uh I had one young man come up to me after a concert. Uh, this was uh, I was already solo, because Love Song was really only, to, only together for three years. And I had already been a solo artist for a number of years, and a, and a kid came up to me after one of my concerts, and he said, you know, uh, I have to tell you my story. He said, I was in a... Uh, it was a I don't know what you have... Uh, you have Target stores here, right? It's a Target-type store. We, uh, they were called White Front. So they had... A, in those days, it was LPs, you know, the, the vinyl. And he said, I was over in this White Front store, and... I was thumbing through the bins, and in the very back of the middle bin, I saw the Love Song album. He said, so it looked interesting to me, the cover, so I picked it up, and I turned it around, and on the back of that album we had a testimony that talked about our Christian experience and our conversion and all that. And he said, and I read the Christian stuff, and it kind of was off-putting to me. I wasn't into that. So I put it back in the bin and uh, didn't think much about it, and I went across to another record store to look in the record bins, and right in the same spot, second bin, back of the bin, I saw your album again. So I'm starting to think, maybe I should check this out, you know. So anyhow, bottom line is, he bought the album, he brought it home. He says, I I put the, the needle on the record, and by the end of side one, I didn't even get to side two, he said, I was just weeping because the presence of God was so powerful. And the last song on that side of the album was a song called Welcome Back to the Things You Once Believed In. So he said, I didn't know anything about God, I didn't know anything about Christ, And I looked in the yellow pages under churches and I found a phone number and I called some guy, some random church up. And told them what was happening to me, and they led me to the Lord on the phone, and I became a Christian through your album, and I've been a Christian ever since.
0: So you've toured with Roy Orbison, you've written songs with Brian Wilson, you knocked the Beatles off the number one spot, <laughs> but does all that matter compared to those
1: stories? Absolutely not. You know, those were great uh, experiences and their achievements, and on one level, they're it's wonderful to be able to say those things, but they really pale by comparison to the spiritual impact that an album or you know, I mean, I have often said kind of ingest. Michael Jackson, eat your heart out, because I don't care if he's played in front of a half a million people. He's never had the thrill that I have playing in front of 30 people under the anointing of God.
0: Let's finish off with, there might be someone listening that's thinking, mm-hmm. hey, I want what this guy's got. I want to know Jesus. I want to know God. I want to get closer to God.
1: What's your advice, Chuck? Okay, first of all, you have to divorce yourself from how you define Christianity based on what you see on TV and looking around you, okay? Because even though what happens on TV can come from Christians and these are flawed people who don't necessarily represent Jesus, okay, in the way that would be what I would consider the way he should be represented. So what I'm trying to say is I'm not knocking it, but you need to look deeper than that. You need to look at your own personal relationship with Jesus. You have to look away from religion, because Jesus is not a religion. See it more in the, in the area of what it really is. It's the reality of life. It's not a religion. There's a, there's a spiritual dimension and a worldly experience. And the real issue is being right with God. Now, you can look into all the different religions, as I did. Uh, but my challenge is that if you are truly honest, and you're on a, just a gut-level honesty, say, Lord, you show me who you are. And if you're really true to yourself, you will come up with the same answer that I did. And that's basically what my process was. I had to go through all this other stuff first. And uh, some of it I really committed myself to, but it still didn't answer my questions. And the real questions of life are, is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Is God personal? If there's a hell, am I going there? These are very important questions. And if you're really honest with yourself, then I believe that the Holy Spirit will draw you toward Jesus because I, as the Bible says, believe that Jesus is the only way. Now, that sounds narrow-minded to a lot of people. They say, how narrow-minded? But the Bible says, small is the gate and narrow is the path to eternal life, and broad is the gate to destruction. So it is true that it's narrow-minded, but you don't need to be a narrow-minded person, but you need to be narrow-minded about the fact that there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. And it isn't about religion. You can enjoy your life. You can have fun. You know, some people think, if I become a Christian, I'm just going to go off, and I won't be able to, you know, have fun anymore, and I'll... It's really not like that at all. Jesus might change your mind about what you think is fun, but it's a very enjoyable, very full, powerful life, and it's really the way God designed us to be. And you 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 talk about self-fulfillment. You become who you were really intended to be when you become a Christian. That's my counsel.
0: Chuck, thank you so much for sharing that with us. If anyone wants any more information, you can go to the website, historymakersradio.com. Uh, now, we'll also have a link to Chuck's
1: website, which is www.org.
0: Uh, that's a pretty cool domain name. How'd you get that?
1: <laughs> oh, way early. Yeah, way early. We also have chuckgerard.com, if they can't remember that. But, uh, yeah, I, I got that way back when uh, domain names were still available.
0: <laughs> that's cool. Well, Chuck Gerard, you certainly are a history maker. Thanks very much for joining us. God bless. Total pleasure. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for joining us, History Makers. For more information, you can go to historymakersradio.com. History Makers is brought to you by newhopeaustralia.org.au. History Makers.